Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we'll be discussing the Blood and Gold book series by Kim Wilkins, the Netflix series Selling Sunset, and we watched the pilot episode of the sitcom Double Trouble. And as a reminder, as we approach the one-year anniversary of our show, we're still conducting a survey to find out what you want to hear more of as we enter year two. The link to the survey is in our show notes, and we'll also have it available as a link on our Twitter account, at Pause Pop Podcast. Hooray! So we'd really love to hear your feedback, so we can get KW to stop talking about reality shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love hearing about that. And you have one to talk about today, right? I do. Yes. And this <laughs> one is bananas. So Selling Sunset is on Netflix. Did you Have you watched any of it at all? I have not. I really have no idea what it's about. Okay. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. There's three seasons of it. It started in 2019. And the most recent season three just dropped on August 7th. So it just came out very recently. And I watched it in like a weekend. Um, each <laughs> season has only eight episodes. So it's really, there's okay. only 24 episodes total. So if you start it now and just like binge it. Yeah, it's a half an hour. A half an hour. Okay. Yeah. A couple of the episodes are like maybe 37 minutes long. So anyway, so this show <laughs> is amazing and I love it. And it's about high-end real estate agents in Los Angeles. Okay. They all work for the Oppenheim Group, which is run by twin brothers Jason and Brett Oppenheim. And I have started to be able to tell them apart. It's funny that we're doing like actually two shows about twins. This is hilarious. <laughs> I did not even think of that when we picked these topics, but um, yeah. So it's run by these twin brothers and they have several agents that work for them. Chriselle Stoss, Christine Quinn, Maya Vander, Mary Fitzgerald, Heather Young, and then two other agents that one starts out as just a recurring agent, but then she later becomes part of the full cast, Davina Portrats, and Amanda Smith comes on in season two. But basically, the show is part kind of HGTV real estate show. So you get to see these million dollar homes in Los Angeles, these these homes are bananas. They are huge. They're <laughs> ultra modern. They have beautiful furnishings. They sell for millions and millions of dollars. So you get all that and you get the pitch that these women are showing the homes to their to their buyers and stuff. So you find out about the properties. But then a lot of it also is the drama, the interpersonal work drama of these women. And most of the drama comes from Christine, who is ridiculous. Christine <laughs> is a very classic reality show quasi queen bee villain person. And she is very styled. She has like ridiculously long platinum blonde hair and she wears these crazy outfits. And she's kind of at odds with Chriselle, who is a little bit more down to earth. She's originally from Kentucky. She's more of a brunette. So of course, the brunette is like the good girl and the blonde is the bad girl. And the others are sort of in the mix that have their own drama at different points. But yeah, a lot of it comes from the friction between Christine and Chriselle. And Chriselle is a much, she's not as aggressive of a salesperson, but she's a much kinder person generally. And Christine is maybe a little bit better at selling the real estate, but she's 
kind of owns her attitude and admits that she's sort of a blunt person, shall we say. And then a lot of the conflict, too, comes from if if a really expensive home isn't selling, then the bosses will kind of get on the, the realtor and, and see what they can do to support her a little bit better. But it's also funny that it's all these women working for these two twin adult men, which is kind of <laughs> strange in and of itself. Several of the, the women get married over the course of the three seasons. One of them goes through a divorce at one point. One of them is going through a very bizarre custody battle. And Mary is one of my favorite realtors on there. And she has this younger husband who's French. And that's kind of an interesting plot where <laughs> there's a lot of drama with that relationship that people have a lot of opinions about it. I go back and forth about why I like this show. It's very, it's very low stakes. Like it's the high drama of low stakes, which I love. Yeah. But I also really love the, the real estate looking at these homes. I really, really dig that a lot. And I love that it's in Los Angeles, and the weather's always beautiful and perfect. <laughs> and there's just a lot of those quick cuts that you see in reality shows where you see just like B-roll of like the Hollywood Hills or, you know, people walking down streets in Beverly Hills or something. And so it's just, it's just lovely. And you get a little bit of, there are some minor celebrities that show up as potential buyers and sellers of the homes. In season one, there's an episode where Tay Diggs is buying a house. Oh, <laughs> it's just like little little things like that. And in one of the seasons, Heather begins dating a guy who had an HGTV show. They don't actually show him. Chriselle is married to one of the actors on This Is Us, but you don't actually see him. You just hear about him. Okay. Yeah. So I just really, I really dig it. I think it's funny. It's It's one of these reality shows that is meant to be a little bit more comedic than serious, although serious things happen to them. And it's just that strange mix of, is this a show where we're supposed to be paying attention to the real estate? Is this a show where it's about the people? You know? Yeah. So you were talking about Christine being like a villain. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I don't love about reality TV sometimes is that it's not always forced, but like that interpersonal tension. Mm -hmm. So is this something that I would like? Is it more focused on the the houses or is the drama kind of convoluted and and would it make my head hurt <laughs> i would say it's a little bit it's like a one to three ratio real estate to drama okay so <laughs> drama heavy it's a little bit more drama heavy but it depends on the episode and it depends on i mean some of the other women cause some conflict the brothers cause some conflict too christine is definitely the one who stirs the pot the most and it seems like her involvement with drama is a little bit more manufactured. However, depending on what the issue is, a lot of the other ones, Davina has become kind of a little beta villain as time has gone on, even though in the first season, she was like this background person who was mostly seen as a serious realtor. And I think that's a funny development of her portrayal. And Maya is one of the more stable people. She's married and has several children and she's pregnant during seasons two and three. And you think of her as being like the mom friend of the group, but then she has her own kind of quasi drama at certain points. So it just kind of, it just kind of depends. It's not drama to a level of super unpleasantness at all times, but there are some okay. classic reality show moments where people will like leave a dinner party or leave a wedding after someone has insulted them. <laughs> I mean, I do that all the time. Do you? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I leave weddings all the time. <laughs> I guess a better question is, 
is the drama like mean spirited? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Sometimes. Okay. So that might bother you, but you know, it is the kind of show where you can kind of tune in and out as you mm-hmm. wish. It's a little bit of a background noise kind of show. So okay. I tend to as it has worn on, I've gotten more invested in it, so I tend to be more riveted. But during season one, I was it was the kind of thing that where I'd put it on and I'd kind of pay half attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was it was pretty good for that. But I think season two and three, I was watching as the pandemic is in full swing, so it was a lot more like, all right, I need this for my own sanity. So yeah, I started following a couple of the women on Instagram. Like I almost never do that, but I was like, oh, I need to see more of their <laughs> real estate listings and stuff because they do often share those things. So yeah, I mean. I don't know if I would say that it would be the perfect show for you. I think a lot of our listeners would enjoy it. And it is the kind of thing, it's not heavy, it's silly, it's, you know, it's a good summer binge. Okay. I might check it out. Not sure yet. Yeah. I think it's funny that one of your big criteria for shows right now, like you talked about today and on Better Call Saul, is nice weather. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Even though the weather the weather here is great. Like today it looks gorgeous out. Yeah. But I think there's something I have probably more than a touch of seasonal affective disorder and even if it's nice out where I am at, I prefer to see beautiful weather, especially <laughs> if the world is falling apart. So it's it's just comforting. I don't know. I will say too that if you like not just looking at nice real estate, but if you also like looking at really nice clothes, it's also really good for that cuz all the women are very very well appointed with their outfits. And some of them wear crazy, ridiculous outfits that are just kind of entertaining. So <laughs> lots of very, very high heels, lots of l- Louboutins, lots of uh, <laughs> hair extensions. And yeah, so. Okay. <laughs> Sounds wild. It's very wild. It's very wild. The thing that I would also say too, that's maybe the undercurrent of this, this is a bunch of women working in a multi-million dollar industry together. And even though their bosses are men, these men have deliberately hired women, a couple of women of color, and, you know, they're making really excellent money. So, I mean, if you want to look at like a neoliberal version of capitalist feminism, this is it. <laughs> so, <laughs> if that is because like other reality shows that focus on women, it's not really focusing on their jobs and it makes it seem like being on the reality show is their job, that is not the case here. These are actual licensed real estate agents. In some cases, some of the women are also brokers, which puts them in a higher category of real estate earnings and power. And so, I mean, it's still kind of gross with the ultra wealthy elements of it, but these women work for their money. And I think that, you know, in certain ways that you could interpret that, that's pretty empowering and and cool. So I'll give that little plug. Yeah, very cool. That's very interesting. I was going to say that my main takeaway today is that we might need listeners to call in with some shows that have a lot of nice weather so you can get through winter because I'm I'm just yeah. worried that you're going to run out of shows to watch before you get to winter. Oh, there's there's a lot of things. I could <laughs> say. There's actually going to be a show on Netflix in a few weeks that is very much like this, but it's set in the Hamptons and it's clearly in the summertime. So it's looking at East Coast sunshine, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. I still also have several seasons of Better Call Saul to get through, so I'll be all right. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> well, my current consumption hasn't been quite as sunny. Okay. <laughs> Everyone knows I love fantasy books, so I've been reading a book called 
Sisters of the Fire, which is book two in the fantasy series Blood and Gold by Kim Wilkins. And I read book one in 2018 when it came out. So I am going to probably end up talking more about book one, even though I'm reading book two, just because I don't want to like give too much away from what happens in book one. Okay. One of the reasons that I like it is it's about five sisters. So automatically you just have a ton of female characters. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something that I really look for in yeah. fantasy, especially because outside of urban fantasy, I feel like there are female characters, but the ratio is always like one woman to like four men or something. <laughs> yeah. So that's sometimes tough to deal with. But in this one, uh, there are five sisters who are daughters of the king. So the first book is called Daughters of the Storm. So they're all named after like nature things. Oh. <laughs> the oldest sister is Bluebell, who is like the farthest from her name that you can get because she's this like fierce warrior who doesn't take no for an answer and basically is only interested in, in fighting and like... Well, okay, so her dad is king, and at the beginning of the book, we find out that he is ill. Her entire being revolves around her kingdom, but not in the sense that she, like, wants her dad to die. She, like, really, really does not, but she knows that she's going to take his place one day, and she does prefer to be called king instead Uh of queen, which I thought was interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she's very loyal to the family, and everything she does is for the family, and sometimes her sisters don't really agree with her choices or understand why she makes them sometimes. Uh-huh. But I really liked her. I thought, I'm I'm always kind of a sucker for, like, a, a woman who can kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Rose, who is married to the king of a neighboring country as, like, a peace treaty. And she, he's older. She doesn't really love him. They do have a daughter named Rowan. And as the book goes on, we find out that Rowan might not be the king's. Oh. Yeah. So her, Rose's storyline is a lot about following her heart versus, you know, the duties expected of her as the daughter of a king and the wife of a different king. Uh-huh. So hers is a very internal struggle. Uh-huh. And then there's Ash, who, she might be my favorite. Bluebell and Ash, I think, are my favorites. Uh-huh. But she is learning magic. And it magic in this world is an innate thing. Uh-huh. So she is sort of just coming into her power. And she's a little reluctant to do so at first. Because she's what they call an under-magician. And there is a thread that goes throughout the book about how under magicians have to isolate themselves. They're not really meant to be around other people. So she is struggling with, hey, if I learn what I can do, this power will necessitate that I isolate myself and leave my family, which she doesn't really want to do. Then there are twins, Willow and Ivy, who, honestly, they were pretty annoying. (laughs) (laughs) More twins, though. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that's weird. We should just call this the twin episode. Yes. And everyone will be like, uh... What? No clue as to what we're actually talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But they're, like, 15, and Ivy is... She's just very into boys and men, and for me, 
her storyline wasn't that interesting, mm-hmm. but in book two, it becomes a little bit different. It becomes more about power and more about how she can learn to wield it because one of the big conflicts is Bluebell's family. I honestly don't really remember the names of the countries too well, so we're not going to get into that. <laughs> the Sisters Kingdom follows multiple gods, and Bluebell in particular follows the horse god. And then Rose's husband's kingdom has become a tri-martyr kingdom. If I could tell you what tri-martyr was, I would, but <laughs> it's basically it's basically like three gods, I guess, but these specific three. And one of their tenants, I guess, is that only men can have power. Uh-huh. So in book two, Ivy is in a situation where she's technically not allowed to have power because it's a tri-martyr country. Oh. Yeah. So she's kind of figuring out how to like skirt those laws and, and things like that. So I find that pretty interesting. Uh-huh. And then Willow is the other twin and she... <laughs> She was probably the hardest for me to connect with because she's very, very religious, but not in the sense that she follows her family's religion. She thinks that angels are speaking to her. Uh-huh. I don't know if he's a god or, or an angel, but his name's Mava, uh-huh. and she follows him in particular. And he t- he is telling her to do some not quite legit stuff. (laughs) So a lot of her motivation comes from this and a lot of her actions go against her sisters. Her story in book two has gotten kind of interesting too. I don't want to give a lot away about what happens in book two, but basically all of the sisters are separated. And I think that's both good and bad. It's good because I think you can explore their character's apart very well Uh and i i should say i'm only about halfway through book two so things could change and i i'm sure they will change Uh but one of my favorite things about book one was when you got like two maybe three sisters together Uh and you got to explore those those particular relationships so one of the things that i just really enjoy about it is that it is so women-centric and i do love stories about sisters Uh so the fact that you have like, I've only got one sister, so that's only a two-directional relationship. But mm-hmm. when you've got five, each sister has a relationship with every other sister. Yeah. And I think that's that's really fun to explore because, yeah. like, how does this one's motivations change how that one is looking at the world and stuff? So the big thing in book one is their father is sick and Bluebell is convinced it is not natural. Someone has cursed him or something. So they have to go about unraveling this mystery and then book two it's mentioned in book one but book two is a lot about well okay bluebell is rumored to be unkillable because she is just a super good fighter but she's (laughs) also got like the (laughs) she's also got the patronage of the horse god and there's just this like rumor that he protects her in battle and stuff (laughs) so she gets this prophecy where one of her sisters is in possession of a troll blade, a troll sword, that will kill her. <laughs> oh. So book two is about, it's about all the sisters doing their own thing, but it's it's a lot about Bluebell 
trying to be like, um, hey, ladies, is one of you trying to kill me? <laughs> <laughs> I I really like the writing. It's really smooth and really easy. Mm-hmm. I like the world building. It's it's sort of Viking inspired. You might not think I like the world building because I don't retain a lot of that information. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I think it's interesting. And I always kind of love the interplay between or among religions. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that sort of plays out and what comes of that storyline. The only thing that I'm sort of disappointed in is, so book one came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and book two came out last year. Yeah, and book three seems to be out in Australia. She's oh. an Australian author. I can't find a date for the release in America, so. Oh no! I'm a little bummed about that because I know when I get to the end of this, I'm gonna be like, "What? How does it finish?" Yeah. So we'll, I'll have to keep an eye out on that. But I'm just really enjoying it. I don't know if you've felt this way too, but it's honestly a little bit hard to read during the pandemic. It's hard to start books. For yeah, me. it feels hard to start books. I sort of have to force myself a little bit, and I have multiple going on at once. If I feel like mm-hmm. I get. I'm actually f- pretty focused on one book right now, but that's been, it's taken me a couple weeks to to do that. I go through cycles of not really wanting to read books, but that's not usual for me. So yeah, I do think it's it's something about an attention issue or a completion issue or, or feeling like it's hard to get fully immersed in a world. Reading a book is very different from watching a TV show or, or watching a film mm-hmm. in that you have a lot more mental energy that you're experiencing bending to flesh things out to yourself in your mind. And I think maybe that's just more energy than we have right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I picked this up was I'd read the first book. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to do especially with fantasy books. Mm -hmm. You know, the first couple chapters, it's like, okay, who are these people? What's Mm -hmm. this world? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to do that with this book because I had already read book one. So Mm -hmm. that's why I'm Especially bummed that book three is not available yet because yeah. it's easier to slide into a later book in a series than it is for me to start a new book. So, yeah. Actually, that's funny. The book I'm reading now is a loose sequel to a trilogy I already read. So, oh. I didn't actually know that starting it. I just knew, oh, this is contemporary. And maybe subconsciously, I didn't think I'd have to do that energy. So, yeah. And actually, that's funny. A lot of the books I've read this year post-pandemic start have been more contemporary than I usually read. So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And that book that you're reading right now, you might be talking about in a couple weeks, right? Yeah. So I'll I'll stay quiet on the rest of it. Okay. I'm excited <laughs> for that. Cool. Well, so we sort of planned this episode around our final topic, but it's I think this is so weird. We did not plan this to be the twin episode at all. This is so funny. We did not. <laughs> no. So to shift gears completely, we both watched the pilot episode of Double Trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've watched a lot more than I, I have. have. And also, I didn't know it was a thing until you told me about it. So do you have some background on it? I do. Yes. Yes. So Double Trouble was on, on NBC from April 4th, 1984 to March 30th, 1985. And so it didn't last very long. It only has 23 episodes over two seasons. The first season is kind of short. It was a mid-season replacement. And then it's got a full second season. 
and it stars real-life identical twins, Jean and Liz Sagal, as Kate and Allison Foster. In season one, they live in Des Moines, Iowa with their widowed dad. The other person in their little family unit is their dad's girlfriend, Beth. And Beth and the dad run a gym together that also has a dance studio where the twins teach dance classes. Oh, I didn't get that far. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they really talk about that in the pilot. The series really focuses on the tw- the twins' hijinks, and one twin, Kate, is a little bit more freewheeling. She's a free spirit. She's a little goofier. She's not as focused. And Allison is a little more buttoned up and studious and serious. But a lot of the comedy also comes from people, either them deliberately pretending to be each other to get out of various mishaps <laughs> or people mistaking one for the other. But also it, it's about kind of their differences. So there's a little bit of an odd couple thing going on where one's messy and the other's clean. You know, it's that's that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's kind of, I would say that it's in season one, it's mostly really a teen show. And we can get into it in season two, it sort of changes setting and premise just a tiny bit, but still retains the the central twins. These girls are the little sisters of Katie Seagal, who was on Married with Children and other sitcoms. No way! Yep, yep. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Also, I will say the whole series is on YouTube, and the picture quality is not great, but you do get the whole series without commercials. I don't think this was ever released on home media, so hopefully they won't take it off YouTube now that we're promoting it, but I don't know that anyone (laughs) would really care at this point either, so this is a... (laughs) you know, 35-year-old sitcom. So yeah, well, first of all, what did you think of, did you watch just the first episode? I just watched the first episode, yeah. Okay. I wanted to keep it fresh, so I watched it last night. Okay. I thought it was charming, and I will be watching more. <laughs> awesome. I thought you might. Yeah, it's like a great, it's short, it's mm-hmm. funny in a kind of a silly way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's sort of like a background, a nice, easy background thing to put on. So the pilot is pretty basic. They're short episodes, so you can't fit a ton in there. Yeah. So it starts out, it's a Saturday night, and Allison is going to finish her term paper. And honestly, okay, the first thing I wrote about Allison was, I love this twin's Argyle sweater vest. (laughs) Because right away, you're like, oh, she's the buttoned up one. (laughs) There is some really awesome, you know, early to mid 80s fashion in all of the episodes of this show. I thought that might be one of the things that you liked about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So she's writing her term paper on a Saturday night and her dad comes in and, oh, wait, what's the sequence of events where she he leaves her car for her? Do you remember? He's, I can't quite remember exactly, because as, as you mentioned, I've been continuing to watch the show for, for like a couple <laughs> weeks, but I'm pretty sure that he leaves his car at home because he's going somewhere with Beth, so they don't need his car. And Allison has already passed her driving test. Mm-hmm. And Kate is taking her driving test as they speak. So her dad leaves for work, leaves the car keys there. Also, his taillights are broken, so I think that's part of why he leaves it there. Yeah. Because he's going to get them fixed on Monday. And then Kate comes home wearing a plaid shirt with a punk belt and this little (laughs) black handkerchief (laughs) tied up as a scarf. And I... (laughs) 
And I was like, I love, I love this. I love the, the costuming here. Yes. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously meant to, to show their different styles, which I think is great. Yeah. But she comes home and she has not passed her driver's test, mm-hmm. which is a shame. It's like the third time. Yes. She can't get past the written part, but she's going to a police concert that night. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that I really, <laughs> that I laughed about that I wrote down was, <laughs> she says, if I miss Sting, my life is over. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was cute. So she really wants to go to this concert and her dad can't drive her and the bus will take a long time. So she asks Allison, who does have her license, to drive her. And Allison is kind of a stick in the mud and is like, no, I got to work on my term paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... I did not get. I was like, okay, just just take an hour and go drive your sister to the concert. Like, <laughs> I know. It's a serious term paper. Yeah. And also this conversation gives rise to another of my favorite quotes, which is that Kate's like, just do the drafting on your papers tomorrow. And Allison says, Sunday night is for proofreading. <laughs> <laughs> so long story short, she refuses to take Kate to the concert. Kate appears to be taking the bus and then on her way out she swipes the car keys she swipes allison's driver's license and goes to the concert and then on the way back she gets hit by a little old lady and the police escort her home or something like that and then she and her sort of boyfriend michael and allison have to figure out you know how to get it fixed before their dad comes home and shenanigans ensue a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So pretty simple plot, but it introduced yeah. us to the characters. It introduced us to their personalities. Yep. And I thought it was really funny. Yeah. I I think I was surprised when I randomly stumbled upon this. I think I was surprised at how a lot of it really holds up. They, I mean, it, it's very of its time. The girls are clearly, I mean, the, the mentioning of pol- the police and Sting. Their bedroom is covered in posters for early 80s musicians, which is really cute. And obviously the fashion is very early 80s. (laughs) The theme song, you didn't mention the theme song. The theme song is very early 80s sounding and just has a lot of quick scenes of them doing silly things. It was also very long. The theme song? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're used to either very, very short intros or the HBO style long artistic weird intros that go <laughs> yeah, on forever true. so it's it's kind of in between but i think that was very typical of the era and the theme song has lyrics that are kind of like about being a team and being you know doing silly things and whatever so <laughs> i don't know if they sing the theme song they actually do also sing in real life so oh. i don't know if that's them what did you think of their dad and and beth too as characters okay well beth is played by patricia richardson who is great Mm-hmm. loved her on home improvement when i was a kid yep <laughs> and she's also been in some like hallmark movies recently and i'm just like oh it's nice to see you again yeah so i thought that was really great when she popped up i liked her a lot mm-hmm. her character well she seems to be a voice of reason mm-hmm. in the family a lot but she also there's this one cute little scene when she and the dad came home to find this incident having happened and she kind of exit on a little bit like <laughs> a little bit. 
And I just thought that was funny. So I, yeah, I really liked her. I thought, I thought the dad was cute. I probably have to see a few more episodes, but yeah, I mean, they seem like a well-adjusted, mostly functional family. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, the dad is played by veteran character actor Donnelly Rhodes, who has since passed away just a couple years ago. But he's been in tons of stuff before and since then. And I think he often plays sort of a, well, sometimes he'll play like a bumbling dad type, but he's also been in soap operas where he's like semi-villainous and stuff. So that's kind of interesting. (laughs) He had some good range. I think that he is portrayed in the rest of the episodes of season one as sometimes being a little overprotective and sometimes a little nosy. And I think he especially worries about Kate being a little more wild and Mm -hmm. worries about, I don't know, typical, typical things that a dad of older teen girls would worry about because they are in their late teens um, in season one. So yeah, for the most part, I like that the girls don't really resent Beth, but then it, that sort of develops over the course of season one, that there is a little bit of conflict there. Their mom has not been gone for very long. She's supposed to have died the year before the show starts. So okay, that kind of gets a little bit more very special episode toward the end of season one. <laughs> but yeah, the rest of the episodes of season one are all super cute and very, very similar to this one. Little hijinks, little misunderstandings. There's some that really had me laughing out loud. And so I think that'll be fun for you if you keep going. Now, I will say season two almost not quite reboots the show. The girls move. It's sort of like they off-screen graduate from high school, and they move to New York City to live with the dad's sister, Margot, who is oh. like in her early 50s and unmarried, and she's a children's book author, and she has this really beautiful... Um, cool. Yeah. And she has this really beautiful Victorian home in... It's clearly probably supposed to be the, the village or Soho or something, like a trendy area of New York City. And Allison goes to fashion school, and Kate tries to be an actress slash dancer on Broadway. Interesting. The thing that's so mid-80s about season two, though, is that the aunt randomly has these two boarders living with her who are young men who are sketch comedians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that part of it is very goofy. So there's a lot of interplay between now you've got four young people living together with one sort of caretaker. So they become kind of a strange little dysfunctional family. But this the same kind of plots are still happening. It's still very cute, but they are now sort of supposed to be 18, 19 years old. So it's a little more, it's less of a teen show and more of a new adult show kind of mm-hmm. at that point. And I do notice that the themes become slightly more mature, but not really. Um, it's still very innocent, but they do allow the women to grow up a little bit which is nice. And the guys are pretty funny, even though it's kind of like, what? No, no woman in her early 50s would just randomly have these 20 something young men living with her. It's just a little strange. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when you know you're going to have your your young nieces move in with you. I don't know. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah. So that's interesting to me, letting them grow up and letting them move away from home and and have have more adult experiences. But to me, that also kind of sounds like it's in sort of the new adult range, which is mm-hmm. the thing we talk about in fiction, kind of between young adult and properly adult. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, do you think that's part of the reason it got canceled? Maybe it it didn't connect somehow? I don't know. 
the funny thing is that season two is a lot longer than season one. Season one is only eight episodes long and season two is 15. And so it went on a lot longer and it actually, the second season, it was doing better in the ratings. Oh. Hmm. It was a higher Nielsen rank, but it also, I think more things were on that second season. So it was actually a lower rating, but a higher rank, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it it's not like it like dramatically started doing worse. It didn't. I think they're just, I don't know. I can't really say precisely why it got canceled. I'll have to finish season two because I'm only, I'm only a few episodes into season two. I think I finished the eighth episode of season two. So I guess I'm halfway through with it. And I don't see that the quality has gone down. If anything, I do think it's more interesting because it's more complex. And having them be living in New York gives them a lot more people to interact with. There's a lot of other little secondary characters that I didn't even mention that are in season two. And season one really is just the girls, the dad, and the girlfriend, and sometimes Kate's boyfriend, Michael, and that's kind of it. So I think maybe they decided to do a shift in tone, not only because the the twins in real life were like 23 when season one started, so maybe they thought it's not okay. realistic for them to be playing 16 anymore, but they retain their same personalities. And it makes sense based on how they are in season one, what they have as their career aspirations in season two. So. I don't know. I think it's just one of those things where it was a little bit on the bubble. It was on NBC, which I think at the time was starting to transition away slightly from family and youth-oriented sitcoms and, and be a little bit more oriented toward drama and cultivating. This is before Seinfeld, but not very much before Seinfeld. And I think they might have been in that liminal period of trying to decide what they were branding themselves as a network. Ironically, season two, if they had been on in the 90s, I think would have been really successful. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for that analysis. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, that's, I mean, I asked you and I was, yeah. I was genuinely curious about it. So yeah. thanks. Cool. But I think it's also, I will say too, this is around the time that the Facts of Life was having their young women transition to college and adulthood. And it might have just felt like there was too much similarity. They're very similar in tone. Mm -hmm. And it might have just been like, I don't know, maybe this is on its way out and just been a little bit of a crowded landscape. So yeah. Was Facts of Life on NBC as well? It was, yes. Okay. Yes. So I think they might have just been trying to figure out that's a lot of a lot of female, young women-centric shows, and maybe we need to Yeah, I can't out. have too many of those. I know. I think that's <laughs> untrue, but... <laughs> so anyway, I, I totally recommend it, and I think if you keep going with it, you'll, you'll enjoy it as you go. I definitely will. I just really kind of want those easy-to-digest, fun little shows, so I will definitely keep going. Well, next week, we're also going to be talking about some fun, easy-to-digest shows, I think. We're going to be talking about the Netflix series The Floor is Lava, Bravo's The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and Alanis Morissette's new album Such Pretty Forks in the Road. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast, where you can also find the link to our listener survey. The link, though, is also in our show notes. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. 
Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.